Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well... Oh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. Save big money in your next project with help from Menards. Move water where you need it quickly with a Barracuda sump pump. Sump pumps keep your basement dry when big storms hit unexpectedly. Get a half-horsepower cast iron Barracuda sump pump on sale now through May 5th. Hurry into Menards and don't forget to check out our weekly flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Menards. Hello and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. There is a lot going on. It's International Women's Month and yet it's tricky isn't it? There's so much going on in the news, so many difficult conversations happening, so many examples of women not being respected. Look at the way that Meghan Markle was treated uh, after her interview with Harry, where she was almost treated as if she was the only one who was there and he was just her puppet um, and the onslaught uh, against her to the point where it got so bad that uh, one of her most... um, one of her biggest critics and most vocal and obsessive critics, Piers Morgan, ended up uh, leaving his job at uh, Good Morning Britain because his obsession with Meghan and his disparaging comments about her and the way in which it appeared that he had um, disregarded her comments about her mental health, he was pulled up on it by his co-anchor, And he just had a tantrum within about two minutes. He was up and off. Now, this is a man who spends a lot of time calling other people snowflakes, including Meghan, for, you know, struggling uh, under the lens of so much criticism and so much vitriol and so many smearing, unkind campaigns. So many people he has called a snowflake for not being able to handle, like, global pylons. And there he was on national television, just being questioned really politely and respectfully by his co-anchor who was calling him out on his obsessive and disrespectful reaction to Meghan on the show, not just after her interview, but just in general. And he just stormed off and had a tantrum like a big baby and quit just like that. Now, I am happy because I am... uh, We do not get along publicly and he has uh, not... I mean, neither of us like each other. That's all I'll say. And um, that has been very, uh, that has been a very big weight off my chest knowing that he will no longer have access to mainstream broadcasting TV. It's fine if he's going to go off and get another job somewhere else, but we're all safer with him there where people who are like-minded, who want to stay in that kind of echo chamber of, of whatever it is that, you know, people like that want to talk about, uh, they can all be off together somewhere, you know, in the shadows away from us. I'm, I'm really glad that he no longer, that we, we, can, we have the choice to opt in or opt out of people like that. Whereas when they're on mainstream television and 
they're on a show that gets really good guests because the show has good ratings and it's on a big network, then you want to tune in to see what the people that you like are going to say. And then you have to tolerate this person that makes a lot of people feel very uncomfortable. It's so great that now we can have the choice as to whether or not we want to leave our safe echo chamber. I think that's the important thing is that, you know, I understand why people say, you know, you should be exposed to the opposing views. I get that. But you should have a choice as to whether or not you have to be exposed to those views because sometimes they're triggering and traumatic and troubling. And so I'm just glad he's gone and he can go to whichever well-paid basement he's off to and uh, just sort of fuck off and stay there for a while, preferably. Um, But anyway, uh, a lot of other things have been happening this week and we have heard more and more devastating news about a missing young woman called Sarah Everard and... She was a woman who was walking alone at night and she went missing. And and the immediate reaction to her disappearance from far too many people was, well, why was she alone out at night? And that has triggered a huge global conversation. Once again, this comes around and around and around, but I feel like this time it's actually really going to stick. Where people are talking about the fact that why are we still asking what women are doing wrong? Why are we not asking how men can stop attacking us? What can we do about this systemic situation that we find ourselves in where women aren't safe? Why are women not safe? Why are we not making this about the people who actually statistically attack us en masse? And so uh, that is one of the things I talk about in today's podcast with my excellent guest. I want to quickly offer you a trigger warning because we do discuss sexual assault and we do discuss uh, rape culture. And we even discuss uh, very loosely just the the ways in which sometimes paedophilic culture can be glamorized by people online. Um, but I just want to give you that heads up so that you know what's coming. But my guest is Jamie Loftus. She is a writer. She is an excellent stand-up, an alternative comedian, an animator, a podcast co-host and an actor who is based in Los Angeles. And she is known for her solo work, such as her one-woman shows, I Lost My Virginity, August 15th, 2010, and Boss, Whom Is Girl, that she performed at the 2019 Edinburgh Fringe. She's super smart very relatable. She's had such an interesting journey, not only to feminism, because she's a a big feminist voice online, but also to comedy, um, starting with some pretty awkward teen years that some of you may be able to relate to, some of you may not, but she's just, she represents the thing that I think I am looking for most in the people that I talk to, which is growth an openness to growth and openness to to learning and curiosity she she's on this very you know public ever growing journey to just understand the world and i feel like those are the people that will actually learn and turn out to be the wise old people one day because they believe in acquiring information rather than acting like or believing that they already have all the information they will ever need and so I love that about her. We touch on some tricky topics um, in this uh, in this chat, but we're just two women who who want to understand things and question things and and say how we really feel about certain things. And that doesn't mean that we think that we are right about these things. That doesn't mean that we think you should feel these things. There are just some some parts of our culture of of ways that we are expected to behave or ways that we do behave or ways that men behave that we just don't understand. 
And so we get into it and it's just a very vulnerable chat of two women who don't know each other, but getting all the way into it with one another about so many different subjects. And so I hope you enjoy this as much as I did, as much as I enjoyed having this chat with her and getting to know her. She's a fascinating young woman. Her name is Jamie Loftus and I hope you love her a lot. This is for your mum, but Jamie (laughs) Bethany Loftus, welcome to Ai Wei. How are you? I'm great. My mom's going to be so excited. Yeah. They love a middle name, don't they? They love a middle name. This is going to start us off on a wild note, but my mom would make our middle names, the names of the first names of her past miscarriages. So she is like, oh, it's a, it's a double prong shout out. I think that that is sort of nice, but also like, Huh? I don't oh, know. Sure. I, I don't know. I don't know how I <laughs> I don't know how I feel about it. It's none of it's I none don't. of my business. Uh, but that is yeah, it's a it's it's very loving and very sad, basically. I yeah, I feel like it, there's a lot of baggage there that I didn't necessarily sign up for. Um, <laughs> but it makes her feel great. And uh, I didn't have any say in it. My dad just put his name with an A on the end because he's clearly an <laughs> egomaniac. <laughs> so that's mine. Mine is uh, Alia. Uh, Jamila, Alia, Jamil. Just because we didn't have enough L's and A's in the name already. So thank God there are more. Good. I, I love when there's just additional name baggage <laughs> just saddled onto you. And then you just have to think about it every day until you die. Oh my goodness. Now, I'm so excited <laughs> to have you on this podcast. I've been following you on Twitter for a while now and I'm also a big fan of your writing. You are you have had such an interesting journey to where you're at today and I would love to get into that so that I can help any of my followers who are not already following you online uh, just start to meet you and get to know you. Um, cool. And I want to at some point get into how you ended up in comedy and how you have ended up as such a... Uh, such a sobering and enjoyable and funny and incredibly left field uh, feminist (laughs) voice online uh, with some of the most ridiculous tactics of raising awareness on certain subjects that I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, But I also really want to start with your start, which is something that happened in your life uh, really young Mm. that we've both, uh, no pun intended, talked about how it shaped you, which is (laughs) scoliosis. How old were you when you got yeah. diagnosed with scoliosis? Uh, I think I was, I think I was twelve, and I found out in gym class. It was like one of those, um, you know, it's like my my spine was incredibly crooked in multiple directions, and it was like my gym teacher, Miss Tassinari, who was essentially like, "You're fucked. Someone should have told you this a really long time ago." <laughs> And, and then we went to the doctor and, you know, sure enough, I was fucked and I had to wear uh, back braces for the next three years. What a diagnosis. I know it was it was it is fun getting medical diagnoses in New England because they tend to be extremely blunt. Because scoliosis is curvature of the spine, correct? Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a, an S curve, which just means it's you're kind of fucked in both directions cool um equality so 
yeah, it's it's good. It's yeah. like that I started growing in the wrong direction and then I started growing in the right direction, but then it went too far and um then I had to wear a plastic cast. So I had to I had to wear a um a cast when I was sleeping for the first year where it was just kind of pushing you to the left and it was really um uncomfortable and Were you was, able think, to sleep? No. No. So like that whole year I was just up late reading and like watching Frasier on like after my parents went to bed and you know like just didn't I don't know just like wasn't sleeping well felt awful about myself and then after the first year it got worse because then I I had to wear a back brace 22 hours a day um for the next you know for my first two years of high school um, which was not great. The good news, I guess, like, I don't know. I know it could have been worse because when I got scoliosis and I wonder if other people have had it, like, it's just like, you just get a million copies of the book Dini by Judy Bloom, And that's about, <laughs> <laughs> and that's supposed to make you feel better, but it really doesn't. Cause Dini is so depressed in that book. She feels awful the whole time. And you're like, Oh, that, well that there I am. That's me. Um, but I wore a back brace under my clothes, not on top. And so I just like moved strange and I looked different, and, but no one really understood what was going on with my body. And I did not offer any information. So I just sort of was like, I don't know. I just was like moving differently and was wearing big clothes and just all this stuff for my first couple of years of high school. And it just was not, uh, it, it was not helpful in terms of like, uh, friends development in any area. People were making fun of me because they said I was wearing a bulletproof vest to school. That was like <laughs> the popular theory. Like I was like, which in America actually isn't a bad idea. Yeah. It you know what? Just Maybe been... let's bring that into the uniform. <laughs> Fine with that. I'm sending my children to, to school in a uniform vest if I have any. I just like have this really clear memory of asking, like I had um, one really close friend my age and then all of my other friends were my cousins who also went to the same high school and they were nice cousins and they would like lend me their friends and I would sit with them at lunch. But I had one friend who was so kind and nice and like let me sit with her at lunch. And I just was so, I don't know, I was really like introverted and just felt ugly and and didn't want to explain myself to anybody and I just really clearly remember asking her I'm like do you know like does anyone know like what is going on or I I sort of liked dead live in this fantasy where I'm like oh people just don't know it's Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just you know I'm navigating high school like anyone else but my friend was like yeah um there's a rumor in geometry that (laughs) you wear a bulletproof vest to school um which is honestly, that wasn't like my worst case scenario. I don't know what it would have been, but um, yeah, I just like... Hinders um, your romantic life, maybe, because you don't put yourself forward. Because oh, you don't yeah, want anyone I, to I find out even, about your bulletproof vest. I mean, they I barely want- can get a bra off. Can you imagine them trying to get a bloody back brace off? Jesus <laughs> Christ. 
<laughs> I could. I was like, I didn't even. You had to wear these awful t-shirts underneath the back brace, and they were just at the end of the day. Like I know, and this is like something too, like coming from like a like low, like lower middle income family, where I was always really conscious of how I smelled. And in right. a, a back brace, you don't smell very good, no matter who, especially if you're also like thirteen or fourteen you already smell not great. And then it was like constantly wearing these sweaty t-shirts and I'd have to switch them out. And I was just so, I didn't want to be near anybody. So I just didn't, um, I didn't, I I just, in my head, I just shut down there and I was like, I just am not, no one is going to want to be my like boyfriend or girlfriend, like no one. And it was, I was really sad about it, but I just, I don't know. I, I feel like I just shut down and did you have like, anyone to talk to about pretty fucking complicated and intense feelings as a teenager? Not really. No, I, I mostly just wrote on my own. And I I had, I, I was lucky that, I mean, I had a pretty close knit family that I could, you know, talk to. They didn't always know how to talk back, but they tried. Um, but yeah, no, in terms of school or or stuff like that, I was kind of on my own and I just sort of really uh was introverted outside of like two hours a day where I could do stuff with my friends or like feel you know a little just like more normal but for the most part I was just really introverted and didn't talk that's really interesting I I I know that we have a lot of parents who listen to this podcast who sometimes have kids who are going through things and they really just don't know what the right thing to say is and and mm-hmm. I can say from experience because I uh, I had damaged my back really badly when I was seventeen um, yeah. that the thing that you don't want is for people to just sort of almost accidentally and very lovingly gaslight you out of your experience being like it's not that bad it looks fine. I can't even yeah. I can't even notice it. I think you look amazing. Or uh <laughs> yeah. or it's all in your head or just you know just just cuz you know the sort of toxic positivity meme culture mm-hmm. like but of the <laughs> yeah. 90s where it was just verbal where memes were verbal and platitudes were just <laughs> oh my god you were soaked in the platitudes of of well-intentioned adults. Uh, what what yeah. would you have wanted to hear back then? Because I think that's super helpful information yeah I just I think what I was looking for was just acknowledgement that it sucked like I know solidarity that's what you were looking for yeah like it's I I knew that there was nothing my parents could do they couldn't you know like but I just exactly what you're describing of like being told like it's I don't think anyone notices and it's like well then why is my why is my life so miserable like (laughs) you know and just, or like that's how I felt as a 14 year old and you actually came up with some funny ways of sort of I don't know <laughs> like I have uh, certain things that I believe you called yourself at the time like oh. um like oboe which is amazing <laughs> yes uh um, back brace yeah. school newspaper still mm-hmm. has a flip phone perpetual mm-hmm. virgin like where did you write these things where did I, I mean, I would have written these kind of anywhere. I also, in when I was, I mean, young and still now, but didn't even realize that I uh, had a lot of issues with OCD when I was a kid. So I was like, and my compulsion was documenting things. And so I was writing down stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> I had notebooks where I would write down a lot of my thoughts. I would also write down, and this is like very bizarre. And I'm also, I'm like, 
you know, did no one at the school think like, we should talk to her about this. I used to write down what everyone around me was wearing for years when I was a kid. It was like, which is so Wait, sinister what? for a child to do. Okay, Why? Yeah. I'm not judging. I'm just asking. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Like that was the confusion too was... Um, I, I, and please no, I just, I'm really not judging. Like when I was that age, I was weighing myself every single hour of every single day. Like, you know, we all mm-hmm. have our thing. We all have our yeah. thing. So, uh, but please explain how many <laughs> outfits you were documenting here. Are we talking 60? Is it a hundred? Is it five? It was, so I was doing this from my earliest memory doing it was in the second grade. And when I think I finally was like getting too much shit and I had to stop was around eighth or ninth grade. But it was every single day, every class I was in, I would and I had like a shorthand. So if you looked at my it it was like Zodiac killer kind of the way I was um, arranging my letters. It was like a language that only made sense to me. Were you planning on becoming a detective? Did you think something was going to happen? It was no, like it just, I, I just knew, I don't know. It was just like, that was how my OCD manifested. I wish it manifested differently, but I just would go to class and I would write down in like shorthand, like mm-hmm. yellow shirt, blue jeans, sketchers, headband, and then two initials for who it was. And I would do that in every single class or room full of people, or if I like, went to the doctor, if I went to a restaurant, it would just be documenting that. And I think my, again, my parents who like, I really did want to do right by me, but they were just kind of like reaching for justifications. They're like, uh, Jamie wants to be a writer. Um, Jamie is interested in fashion. Maybe we don't really know. And then I got caught by my teachers doing it a few times too, which was like horrifying because they're just like, what is this? you know, like a scary murder notebook you have. And <laughs> <laughs> well, look, it's and a then, coping mechanism, isn't it? Like this is what our brains yeah. do and it distracted you. And if that afforded you a couple of hours a day of freedom from thinking about your fucking back, then mm-hmm. it is what it is. So, you know, yeah. um, it was just, I love that you were like, then. you're like the OG CCTV. It's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and so cool. <laughs> if anyone wants to know what they wore to sixth grade in 2004, I, yeah, can, you're the f- I can, I have the data. You're the founding mother of surveillance. This is so, it's such a privilege to have you on the show. <laughs> so many Paul, Paul Frank monkey t-shirts. Exactly. Oh my goodness. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week, you know, as you're bottling things up, because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel, you know you're going to get that hour where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal. 
that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. <laughs> well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 5. South Dakota seemed like the perfect place to unplug. But I ended up connecting to the world around me. A world where each sunset was painted. Where I felt adventures pulse with every step. And where cold water trickling, pine swaying, and grunting bison became my favorite soundtracks. I just wish I didn't have to leave. There's so much South Dakota. So little time. You have had so much success in the past couple of years and you have so much, you have such a great reputation in this industry, but how did you get into it? How did you, how did you find your way in? Uh, it took me, uh, I guess I, I got interested in college. I was still pretty introverted when I went into college. And so I wanted to get into writing and then I got interested in radio um, was kind of the niche I fell into there because it was like, it just felt like a good splitting of the difference of, I didn't feel like, especially the first couple of years after I got out of the back brace, I still didn't feel like physically confident enough to mm -hmm. present myself on stage as myself at all. But radio, like at our college radio station, I was like, oh, this is like a good middle ground. Like, I don't mind, I can talk and I don't need to be seen. And that felt more comfortable for me. And I felt more comfortable kind of, I don't know, just like speaking with less anxiety, um, which led to once I felt more comfortable there, um, trying out for comedy groups and, and getting involved and starting to do stand up in, um, in Boston for my first couple of years. And interestingly enough, it was being in the industry, in the comedy world that drove you to feminism like it wasn't something that you'd been necessarily fully aware of I mean you were busy with other shit uh, let's just be real <laughs> for a moment and also yeah. it wasn't a mainstream conversation we didn't have social media you know we didn't we weren't mm, as yeah. informed um, as as the next generation are now but it was being around so much misogyny just kind of drenched in patriarchy and their discomfort with the idea of feminism or equality that pushed you towards feminism right yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was such a strange because this was around like like 2012, 2013, where it was like it felt like 
as I was starting to perform, like these conversations were just about to start, but they hadn't quite started. This was around the time that there were um, conversations in like 2013 around college campus assault like that wave and if you remember there was like um a public demonstration where a girl was carrying a mattress around Mm -hmm. um and like it was this era and i had also been um assaulted by a guy that i performed comedy with at school Mm -hmm. and it was just all of this stuff sort of piling on and I don't know. It was a combination of my own experience and also the outright hostility that like the sort of male dominated Boston comedy scene at this time had towards this conversation going on about um, assault on campus that just made me so angry. But I wasn't ready to talk about why I was angry as an individual. But I but that was what really pushed me into like doubling down on like if this is so scary to you, there's really something to it. And I want to know more and I want to understand and I want to push your you buttons. Know, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I, this is like a world I want to exist inside of, but not feeling like this. And so <laughs> what can I do? Can I ask what that attitude was towards, you know, that conversation? Do you have examples of the kind of things that they would say just out of curiosity? I know it was a while ago, but a lot of victim blaming, a lot of like, oh, all of a sudden this is bad. Oh, all of a sudden, like it just acting like the idea of being incensed about being assaulted was, first of all, a new concept. And second of all, something that it was like, even by reacting to it in any public way, you were seeking attention. Yep. You were like, it was just a, an attention seeking technique so that by the time I was sort of finishing college and had spoken about my own experience. That was kind of how that went. And, and as in you were, you were, you were treated as though you were attention seeking or, you know, weaponizing an alleged, an alleged assault. Oh God. Love alleged. Love alleged. (laughs) Yeah. I mean it, that, that was just kind of how it, went and I mean not everyone in my life was like that and I did find you know allies in the comedy community at that time that were very welcoming and accommodating and like just willing to listen to me was the bar I was trying to get met um and like a willingness to have this conversation and not just a shut shut you down with and like okay alleged or shut down with a like you Treating don't want us. to talk about this yeah. because it's because that's the other threat that was sort of come up is like, well, you don't want to talk about this or that's the only thing people are going to know about you and you're not going to be able to perform anymore. Like that, that came up several times from including from, you know, like women from, from people that thought they were, you know, trying to do right by a younger comic by, by saying, look, you don't want to be the girl who was you know, assaulted. So like, you know, I, I feel for you. I believe you, but stop talking about it, you know? And, and that was kind of, God, that's painful. um, It sucked. Yeah. It sucked. Also, no one wants to be the girl who was fucking assaulted. Literally, literally nobody (laughs) wants to be that girl, but right. But part of that is because there's such a huge stigma on being that girl. And the only way to remove that stigma is for all of us 
who have been that girl to talk about it so we can realise that actually there's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do anything wrong. Something happened and to you because there was something wrong with that person. And, right. and and it's okay. And we're all like devastatingly all in this together. A statistic came out uh, yesterday, I think, in the news that uh, 97% of women in the United Kingdom have been sexually harassed. Good Lord. That, yeah. that is, it's like, that's not surprising at all, but it's like, no, Jesus I know. Christ. 97%. <laughs> Who is this magical 3% who've just been in hiding in a basement somewhere? <laughs> like, that is the only way that that's happening. Oh my God. She, right, that, I, it is a terrifying statistic. And that's now. I'm curious about that 3%. I'm like, what, what an incredible life. What a, what a life to have lived. No, you're not going outside. If you're in that 3%, you're yeah. not outside. <laughs> That's it. You're in. You're you're staying in, or you're you're living in sort of butt fuck middle of nowhere where there's no one to harass you. That's the only mm-hmm. way I think that that is happening. Um, yeah, terrifying, terrifying, and uh, yeah. and and this idea that you've you know you've kind of brought up that that we flipped the script on them somehow. Like we, yeah. we'd, it had been okay up until suddenly it's not okay anymore. It's, it was never okay. And we're still seeing that discourse this fucking week. You and I were talking on the phone earlier. You know, we uh, have a woman who went missing and they believe they can confirm that she has passed now. Her name is Sarah Everard. And if Mm. you have been on social media at all, it is very likely that you have seen this case um, because it has started Mm. a huge conversation online. And I feel like we periodically have these conversations every time there is a high profile moment of not a ho- yeah. high profile person, but a high profile case of mm-hmm. a woman going missing who was just walking home at night. And the response <sighs> from the police is always, well, women don't wear headphones. Don't walk alone at night. Don't leave yeah. the house after dark. Women, there's an attacker on the loose. So you all have to be, be aware and stay in. There's no, just- there's no onus on on it's all men it, it, <laughs> the, the only actionable item is for a woman to protect herself and then it's it it just ends up casting a, a blame on, on someone who cannot defend themselves anymore and it's i don't know that conversation is i i, I was avoiding it at first and then it sort of started digging into it this afternoon and it's just it's so infuriating because it does feel like the same conversation over and over and over mm-hmm. and, and the same kind of, you know, dissenting voices being like, well, what's so wrong about you not going outside at night? Like what? Like just, and just People, the implication that you're asking yeah. for, you know, to be murdered. Like it's just such an absurd concept that I, I, eh, it's so discouraging. And also just like kind of the precedent set of like, <laughs> I feel like, you know, women in general are just asked to like talk about the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to them in their life several times a year, see no, you know, progress really made in terms of how we're treated. And then, okay, well, here's the next time you need to talk about the worst thing that's ever happened to you. Um, And we'll see if it works this time. Like, it's just so frustrating and exhausting. And yeah. Oh God! I've yeah. The 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 details of that case are so 
so so so so upsetting and she was just walking home from a friend's house she walked for under an hour uh it wasn't like four o'clock in the morning even if it was you should be fucking safe there are countries in this world where women are safe to walk around in the streets it is possible it's Mm -hmm. not an inherently british or american thing it's not it's not something in the water here uh it's it's a choice it's a societal choice it's a Mm -hmm. it's an upbringing it's a it's a consciousness and mm. and it's a fucking decision and it needs to be treated in that way and she uh, the wave of tut tuts when it was announced she'd gone missing of like well i mean that's very late for a young woman to be walking alone why is that the conversation you know i i told you um before when we were talking about uh dr jackson katz who yes. uh, gave a ted talk called violence against women it's a men's issue and i just want to read to everyone what he what he says which perfectly highlights a the 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 problem with the rhetoric around this crisis that we continue to be in for yet another fucking year another century mm. that you know this shit um but i <laughs> yeah. think he also in this highlights why it's still happening mm. so he says we talk about how many women were raped last year not about how many men raped women We talk about how many girls in a school district were harassed last year, not about how many boys harassed girls. We talk about how many teenaged girls got pregnant in the state of Vermont last year, rather than how many men and teenaged boys got girls pregnant. So you can see how the use of this passive voice has a political effect. It shifts the focus off men and boys onto girls and women. Even the term violence against women is problematic. It's a passive construction. There's no active agent in the sentence. It's just a bad thing that happens to women. It's a bad thing that happens to women. But when you look at that term, violence against women, nobody is doing it to them. It just Mm. happens. Men aren't even a part of it. Fuck me. I almost hate that a man said that. It's so like, inf- it kills me. It kills it. me. I'm so God. I'm angry. I'm jealous. Damn it. I'm feeling it- <laughs> so many things. Um, yeah, but he fucking it nailed feels- it. He did. He really. And I, that I mean, that's present in the Sarah Everard story. That's present in had so much stuff that's been on my mind recently. It's of- it's it's present in history. Never yeah. mind just one person's story. That's that's it. That's the fucking problem. It's the problem is how we talk about it and how much mm-hmm. we what we don't talk about. And so I feel like this is the first time the discourse has moved away from just so many women coming out and saying, you know, all the different things they have to do in order to protect themselves. You know, I have a, mm-hmm. a thing that I do to get home safe mm-hmm. that I'll tell you about now. I don't know if I've talked about it in this podcast before. It doesn't mm-hmm. make me sound super stable. But also, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> as we know. So I, and this is kind of sad and ridiculous at the same time, I run as if I'm already being chased. So I am looking behind me. Ooh. I keep looking behind me as if I'm already mm-hmm. running away from someone in mm-hmm. the hopes, because <laughs> this world is so fucked, that a man who might consider chasing me will be like, ah, no, she, she's already oh taken. God. She's already <laughs> taken. <laughs> someone's already got that one i'll wait for the next one that is galaxy brain i love it i mean every 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 
woman and really anyone of, of a marginalized gender that you know who has their tactic of how to get home after a certain hour like the fact that that is such a commonly recognized um code survival yeah like a survival technique of like i do the um i do the fake phone call i love to like be a walking on my phone talking to someone who's not on the other line being who like, do you imagine i imagine Ooh. joaquin phoenix <laughs> do you ever I imagine usually, Joaquin Phoenix? And he's not a big talker, I'm, so he's like a terrible, terrible he choice. To you. <laughs> I le- I'm talking to the literal joker when I walk home. Yeah, yeah. Talking, <laughs> but I, I like to do, I, my approach is I like to be in like a bit of an argument. So no one is going to like, hopefully no one's going to like stop me and get, because it's not a casual conversation. Like I'm having, I'm having a one-sided argument. And then every, at least once a block, I make sure to say, well, I'm almost home. So I'll be there in a second. Like that's, <laughs> so I'm having an argument and I keep reminding the person I'm arguing with um, that I'm about to get home. And that's yeah, yeah. how I, how I, how I eventually get there. And we still haven't worked things out. Me and uh, me and Joaquin. Yeah. He yeah. opens up to me, you see. So I know he might not be a big talkie well, to you, but like I, we have a code. <laughs> <laughs> I can like hear him nodding, you know, I can hear the yeah, silent yeah. The safety of the nod. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. I want to talk to you about the girl boss. You, uh, you mm. have uh, spoken a lot uh, and uh, under the title of "Girl Whom Is a Boss," and mm-hmm. I would like you to explain your general thoughts around the girl boss. Like it's a it's a phenomenon that has become a part of my generation, our generation, and yeah. you know I think Sophia Amorosa from uh, who, who literally wrote the book "Girl Boss" and she mm-hmm. started the company Nasty Gal, and there was a Netflix uh, dramatization of mm-hmm. of the rise of that company. Uh, what are your opinions on that culture? The it kind of I mean I first got turned on to like girl bossery in general when I I was getting frustrated that a podcast that I um, have been doing for years called the Bechtel Cast it was getting like lumped in with you know and and, and will sure you explain will you ex- this. no I know what your podcast is about the Bechtel yeah. Cast but will you please tell people because it's fucking hilarious. Uh, the Bechtel cast it's built around the Bechtel test so we just um, have guests bring their favorite movie and then we analyze how that movie treats 
women from like an intersectional perspective. And like we start by talking about, does it pass the Bechdel test? It's a media metric invented by Alison Bechdel, whose work is amazing. Um, She wrote Fun Home, amongst other things. Um, And uh, it's from her comic collection, Dykes to Watch Out For, that uh, basically says uh, that in any movie, there must be an exchange between two named female characters that talk about something other than a man. And it was originally just kind of like this one-off joke, uh, but spiraled out into a kind of like commonly used media metric just to see, is there any impactful, you know, female interaction in this movie at all? And, you know, it's it's getting better, but often the answer is no. Um, and so we sort of use that as a jumping off point to talk about, well, okay, this doesn't pass the Bechdel test. How are we treating women? What? And then like going into the context of who made this, what are their views? How was it received? How has it like affected our guests and, and us and the way we see ourselves and just kind of like a, a big, funny conversation about how movies that don't treat women particularly well have shaped our own self-image so we we that's kind of been our our you know like mission really early on but we would often get kind of put onto these listicles that were like just so broad and and kind like where they're like podcast by woman like you know like the kind of list you end up on where it's like here's a woman doing a thing uh and we're just assuming they're all kind of doing the same thing um and the people we were getting kind of like lumped in with were sometimes like oh well i like i couldn't identify with this other person less because they're they're where the girl boss concept comes in is um i have like a a real frustration with um the concept that the idea the end goal of feminism is to just be able to do what men do without being at all critical <laughs> of what men do, you know? And so, um, so, so as kind of, there was a term coming together for a girl boss, I felt like, and I ended up kind of like building a show around this. Um, I just felt frustrated with the idea that feminism could exist in this vacuum of like, I want to be able to do anything I want and in a way that is very uncritical of capitalism in a way that is like intersectional in absolutely no way. And it would just ends up being like, you know how men do absolutely vile things for money and mm-hmm. have no conscience. I want to do that. And I'm like, well, <laughs> I think we need to like get another draft of that in. But there was like, especially I'm thinking of like the peak of it being more like lean in culture of um, it's still somewhat blamey towards women because it's like, oh, well, your problem is that you are not asking for enough. It's like just with a few easy tips, you, too, can commit the atrocities that men commit. And it's just... (laughs) And it is often it's it's often a very beautiful, slender white woman. Almost always, who is, right? And comes from maybe some privilege, maybe not some privilege, but mm-hmm. uh, but who uh, who will be there explaining to you that you know you can easily just get what you want? Yeah, and it's just like I I so so as that sort of stock character was becoming, I mean, there was just kind of a slew of them that yeah. came one right after the other, and it's like oh, I mean, peak for me as Elizabeth Holmes 
where you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> I just don't think that I don't know. I if, if for my litmus test for for like, are you a girl boss? It's like, well, if you say that you love and appreciate women, but you would never in your life join a union, um, then then we've got a problem, you know, and um, yeah, feminism, that's like not critical of of capitalism in any way. It's just like it's useless to me. I don't I don't I don't care for it. So I, I did a lot of writing and performing and I don't know. I mean, it's it's weird because over the years, like even my own views on it have kind of shifted and grown. But mm-hmm. um, you felt I, yeah. I've, I've read before that you, you know, you felt and heard before that you you feel like they've also kind of like this, this sort of neo feminism that's kind of used as a kind of, I don't know, a shield for mm-hmm. the capitalist ruthlessness of it all. And like, I'm all right. too familiar with that with that title of girl boss because so many people tried to lump me in with that mm-hmm. and really just and I think it's because I wear a lot of suits I don't know I uh <laughs> I just like to sit with my legs very wide open that's why I wear suits and there- uh <laughs> And I like to fart down my trouser legs. You know, this is a, it's not a. That's true. I'm not trying that's, to emulate a guy. I just. That's the uh, final way of feminism. I just want to be free. I want a man <laughs> spread and fart in freedom. You know, I don't want to suck mm-hmm. anything in. Uh, and nor should I. Um, but no, my, uh, I think it's because I wear a lot of suits, um, mm-hmm. pa- power suits, um, I believe they're called. And, uh, and because I am a feminist and I think. I don't know. I think people, I, I, I actually don't necessarily, let me just think about this because I want to be really careful because I also want to make sure that people understand that I'm very pro women being empowered in this world in any way. And I am pro women, even in spite of all of the evils of capitalism, I am pro women rising in corporate positions because. Sure. Because I think we are hopefully more likely to hire each other <laughs> because men mm-hmm. men won't. In fact, we've actually seen post Me Too statistically the numbers of women in executive positions around the world in business decrease because they're not being hired by men because men are now afraid they're going to be accused of sexual assault <laughs> or sexual harassment. So they've stopped and hiring so us. Because not doing that. They're yeah. afraid. <laughs> they're so afraid. So they've stopped hiring mm. us. So I do think that there is some... There are some great qualities to women rising up, to women acquiring wealth, but not hoarding that wealth, sharing that wealth with one another, exactly. like investing yeah. in other women, investing in trans women, investing in women of colour. We we can't just be the first ones to be like, no, 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 capitalism is evil and uh, men should stop what they're doing, but we're not going to participate in it because kind of the only way we can level the playing field or at least start to make significant change in who has the power yeah. Is via entering that space. So I'm, I'm definitely with you. Yeah, I mean, it's like being a woman with power isn't being a girl boss. Like I feel like the girl boss is the pejorative for a woman who gets power and then proceeds to hoard it. You know, yeah. and and that and so that's how I feel in terms of like especially in like the, I feel like the earlier 2010s when feminism was presented as a very binary, like now you can do what horrible men have been doing for centuries when the mission should be, you know, if you are, you know, wanting to hold power and there should absolutely be more women in power. Um, But once, once that power is held, 
what are you doing with that great responsibility? And I feel like for a lot, for a period of time, and it doesn't feel like quite that way anymore for the most part, but Mm -hmm. there was a period of time where just holding the power was like, okay, mission accomplished. We did it. When in fact, it's like, well, what are they doing? You know? And it's like, if you look at what they, what, what some, um, some women who had quite a bit of power were doing while being celebrated as, you know, the end game of feminism, when they were all, you know, just white women who started with a lot of advantages and then they proceeded to not really pay it forward in any meaningful way. And so it's like, you know, it, it just didn't feel like a very meaningful celebration, even though we were asked to be. No, I know what you mean. Emulation is the highest form of flattery. And it implies that, that what men are doing is superior and the, 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 the mold, you know, like, yeah, that's it. They've created the perfect mold. And even just, I guess, and this is not, we're not trashing anyone. We're definitely not trashing like Sevilla Amorosa or anything, or the term girl boss. Like I get it. And it happened and no one could have predicted that it would have caught like the attention of the zeitgeist the way that it did that's no one's fault that's because Mm. it appealed to us because of our conditioning right but Mm. just tagging the word girl onto the word boss implies that there's a difference between us as bosses and them and i think that that's also something to boss bitch girl boss like it all separates us from essentially the the original foundation of a boss yeah and also being a boss is shit being a boss is shit. You get blamed for everything. You have to make all the big decisions. Sure, you get some glory, but nowhere near as much of the blame. It's a lot. Like, you know how much I miss being part of a team? Do you know how much I miss just being told what to do? Just get, just getting some fucking, just getting some fucking guidance. Like someone just tell me what to do. Just give me a task and I will do it. I'm fucking tired and I'm scared and I'm lost. I want to put a blanket around you. Are you sure? I'm wearing one right now. I know. I see. It Uh, looks comfortable. It is. This is what you have to wear after you've been a girl boss. (laughs) <laughs> fucking traumatized um i think what we're both implying is that it's just it's a tight rope to walk and one we have to be very thoughtful in and if we're going to do this let's do it our own way and let's do it the right way let's rewrite let's break the fucking mold and remake it properly exactly right. yeah yeah amazing and i i love that that you've also put so much you've put so much thorough and thoughtful investigative work into this subject you're not just doing what I've done in the past and just spouting off some shit that you've just come up with in your head. Like she, she really has like looked into this and I, and I honestly uh, invite everyone to just look into your uh, girl who, whom is a boss uh, work. Um, Speaking (laughs) of uh, important work that you have been doing, you have Mm -hmm. a project that is, that you've been working on recently uh, about Lolita. Mm -hmm. Will you tell me about this? Because it's a super fascinating subject. I'm, I have so many thoughts already. Oh, I'm I'm very excited to hear because it's just, I don't know, everyone's story with Lolita is so individual and so, I, I don't know, I, I spent the last six months working on a project called Lolita Podcast that is kind of just a complete um, uh, investigation of um, Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov, analyzing the book, analyzing how the book came to be, and then choosing all these different branches of how it's had such a profound effect on how we view um, young girls and also just stories about child sex abuse in general. Um, 
And so there's, I mean, there, there's 10 different episodes, but we go into uh, the movie adaptations, which are very vile in different ways, I think. There's uh, an episode about the Broadway shows that are also really bad. Uh, there's episodes that are strictly focused on um, how survivors of child sexual abuse um, have received this book. And there are some survivors who have really gotten a lot of out of it. And there's others that really can't stand it. And just sort of starting that conversation, um, speaking with experts um, who work in that field uh, and, and in getting justice for survivors. And then there's also kind of the online component where there's been this online culture and um, also in like the music industry um, surrounding the aesthetics of Lolita and what that has kind of evolved to mean and just how it like became, you know, the word Lolita became this shorthand for a young girl who is somehow inviting abuse instead of it, you know, being inflicted upon her by an abuser. Indeed. Um, and there are some so people out there who may not have read the book or seen any of the films. Will you quickly summarize mm. what the what the original book was intending to uh, tell the story of? Uh, yes. So Lolita is about um, there. Well, it's it's a it's narrated by a character named Humbert Humbert, who is a child sex abuser. Um, he is writing in the first person. So it is him presenting his abuse to you, um, trying to paint himself in the most charitable light possible. It follows um, his life, but it primarily follows him abusing a young girl named Dolores Hayes, who is 12 years old. Um, when he meets her, he pretty thoroughly grooms her and sexually abuses her for about two years. Um, she escapes out of his clutches into the arms of another abuser, then eventually goes on to uh, live independently for a few years. And then uh, they die at the end. And it's the saddest book of all time. Indeed. Indeed it is. Yeah. And that book has uh, it's really been um, artistically uh, <laughs> reinterpreted in film. Lots oh of... My God. Uh, it's just it's like, very disturbing. The Jeremy Irons one, even, and he's great. But fuck me, like they he? a pick a no, no, no. I mean, he's a great actor, but yes, he's not yes, great in yes, the. He's, he's not, not playing a great um, uh, character. We don't. I don't like it. I'm I'm upset with it, uh, and so, I don't like the way that the girl yeah. is portrayed, and she looks a lot older than twelve, mm -hmm. and there's scenes of her sort of like all wet and scantily clad and she's mm -hmm. a very beautiful young girl and she's looking at him very very uh knowingly and sexually and in a quite quite a womanly and and, and deliberately provocative way in a way that yeah i've been 12 i've been 12 and i can <laughs> fucking tell you i don't know how to look at someone like that and maybe there are some 12 no. girls who do but regardless like it's very much so leading you to think that this was mutual and it can't, yeah. it can't be mutual mm -hmm. at, in, right. it, in that it, it age implies, dynamic. It implies that this is a consensual, not just a consensual relationship, but a consensual loving relationship. Mutual, which, healthy, yeah. Which of course it's like, and, and, and what I think is interesting is it's, made pretty clear to you in the text that that is not possible. Um, but the way that the movie adaptations have gone, they really just, I mean, it, 
for for my money, you know, you're reading this book that is, you know, the, the narrator of this book has a vested interest in distancing themselves from the fact that they are committing a crime over and over and over. Um, but the movies just kind of translate this this, you know, lie of a narrative directly and don't challenge it at all in the way that any of the characters are framed in any of the events. There's just no indication that your this protagonist might be a complete fucking liar, which yeah. in the book, you, you it is pretty clear that he's a fantasist. Th- yeah. And that Lolita isn't even a person who exists. She is, yeah. you know, Lolita is a construction of of this very sick person's imagination. And uh, Dolores Hayes is the child who is being abused. And the way that it's been interpreted in on stage and in movies, there's there's no separation between the two. It's just it's just Lolita. There is Dolores is absent from the narrative entirely. And it's just so 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 harmful in in how that plays out and how that affects you know young girls who see that movie too because i remember i remember the first time i saw the jeremy irons version it used to be like uploaded to youtube in 12 parts and watching it and 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 really like taking it to heart in a way that was like harmful um yeah yeah I I feel as though I, you know, I think I saw it at an age where I was like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to behave. I'm supposed yeah. to behave like her. I'm supposed to dress like her. And mm-hmm. the reason I think it's, I don't think this is, I don't think this is a profound revelation of mine. Um, but the reason that I think that our hugely predatory, ageist, misogynist industry and society at large has taken to it in the way that they have and they've loved the interpretation that she is consenting and she is seductive like you know she wants it I know you want it um, is because and the reason they love blurring those lines is because mm-hmm. we have a, a societal global fixation with very very young girls and it is yeah. uh, I don't think it's created by pornography but it's massively exacerbated by it and the way that pornography mm-hmm. has poured out into the mainstream and mm-hmm. the way that we really don't put a lot of emphasis on how attractive a powerful woman or a strong woman or a woman who knows where the fuck she is or a woman who's in control of everything. We yeah. don't place a lot of emphasis of, unless she's a kind of a overbearing dominatrix, maybe that might be one of the only forms. But again, that, that still feels quite niche uh, yes. within the <laughs> sexually desirable community. Please know I'm not shaming you or blaming you for the behaviour of men. I'm just saying that it makes me sad that we kind of we kind of feel an obligation to act young because age and maturity and power yeah. and, you know, knowingness is considered, I don't know, like you're worn out or something, you know? We're right, just, like, I mean, just even the concept that agents that a, a, a woman age like displaying agency is not an attractive quality it's yeah. just i mean it's it, it to me like speaks to just the lack of viable alternatives and the fact that um and again like like you're saying like not targeting any specific individual but the fact that th- that uh acting younger and 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 you know presenting yourself that way is what has caught on in the mainstream. Where Younger and more naive niche. and stupider, just to be clear, like, than you are. Right. And Look, it's like, and, 
and the aesthetic uh, that and, and other niche aesthetics don't break through to the mainstream. And then it's like, well, why don't they? Why don't, um, you know, niche communities where women are extremely dominant and powerful or just confidently displaying agency? Why is that kind of a rarer thing to uh, to break through? I mean, the, the fashion element of, of Lolita is really complicated because there's multiple um, corners of it. One, uh, the, the largest corner of it is not even technically related to the book. Um, and, and then also the, I mean, the fact that there's, there's so many, um, there, there's just young girls that are kind of, um, and, and women building their self image around communities like, like these. And there is an element of community and connection involved that Mm -hmm. I don't want to invalidate. And then there's also like things worth discussing there of like, why is this, you know, why is this? predatory story you know the center of a movement you know it yeah, just it's a, it's, a, it's a story about a pedophile like inherent yeah. inherently in and of itself it's a story about a pedophile and that's what it is yeah and it's a, it's a very well written story about a pedophile and it is uh it, it is a a, a name lolita that mm-hmm. is in our consciousness because of a story about pedophilia, <laughs> an egregious story about it. And it's just really important to hammer that home and so that you don't think that I'm I'm any kind of slut yeah. shaming or any kind of shaming. And also, yes, it is absolutely yeah. a woman's right to use her power to to uh choose to disempower herself publicly or maybe she doesn't consider it to be disempowering because it's her decision right. to do it i get that there are this is a nuanced subject and and neither yes. of us are the experts on how to dissect that but i just want us to to also look at the the vitriolic like horror that were, that cardi b and megan the stallion were met with with wop where you have two very confident women whose bodies, mm. you know, look, do not look uh, ch- childlike in any way. They're, they're very much, they're owning their woman womanhood. Um, and they are talking about, you know, uh, go down on me and then get out of my house. Uh, you know, it's just very, mm. like, it's very forward and controlling and just sort of take the bins out, you know, suck on my tits mm-hmm. and then clean up my <laughs> toilet. You know, it's just very, it's it's wonderful. It's so liberating and, and joyous. And they yeah. were met with a lot of shock and horror, not just from men, but from women. Because I, we were kind of sure. like, some people were repelled by the idea of these very like, like they, they found it, they find it domineering rather than sexy. It's like, oh, this woman knows what she wants. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to have to guess and be bad at sex. She's going to tell me if I'm being bad at sex and then she'll tell me how to be better and then I'll be better and then she'll come and then we'll all have a great time. She'll call me back. Um, <laughs> so I'm going down a, going down a, no, a weird No, I mean, I really do. It's like, I just want women to be able to do whatever the fuck they yes, want without indeed. fear of retribution. Like, it's like, if you want to, you know, dress, I mean, if, if you want to get into, you know, dressing younger, go for it. I just, I, I don't like that there is a, if, when there are pressures to feel like you have to yeah. versus like, that should be a decision you just make because it's what you want to do, you know? And, and I know that there's a number of women who make that decision. I mean, in getting into, into any aesthetic, because it's just what they're drawn to, what they like and removing that element of societal pressure of like, oh, if I don't do this, I will be thought of as x yeah you know it's just like ugh, i just i just want i want to understand to whatever the fuck they want <laughs> i, I want to understand yeah. and in having this conversation it's okay for us to have this conversation if everyone is listen, listening to this like i totally get it if you feel differently not, not that he 
we've even fully expressed how we feel because I think we don't really fully understand it because it's just yeah. so much bigger than us and it's this behemoth of a, a almost like a movement um, online. It's okay to just have conversations in which you just say how you feel, you figure out how you feel and our opinions are transient and maybe we will attain more information and know and change our minds or feel more so the way that we do. But I just, yeah. I want for women to be allowed to have these conversations where we do just question it because yeah, it stresses and just like us. figure it out together. Because I, I the the episode I worked on for Lolita podcast that is around um, online cultures that have been built around Lolita and Lolita aesthetics. It was genuinely like the the, the most valuable conversations I was having was with people who exist inside of that world and just mm. being like, "Hey, uh, this is like." new to me or i mean it, this era of it because i was involved in in stuff like that in the early 2010s late 2000s when tumblr first became a thing it was an aesthetic i was really drawn to for reasons i couldn't really explain like it was just what was happening and and talking to people who are who are in that community now was so incredibly just helpful it's like oh we just truly need to talk to each other and figure shit out together yeah. And it is like in kind of this like non-accusational space where it's like, hey, I don't get this. Like, let's talk. What's going on? And yeah. I left that episode feeling, um, you know, I just went out with a very different outcome than what I was expecting because um, I feel like I went in with a little bit of judgment and then left with like, oh, I just needed to talk to them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's definitely not for me and it's not what I am drawn to anymore um but but there are elements of it that i hadn't considered and so it's like that that ongoing conversation i feel like is really really valuable yeah and something that i wouldn't have been ready to do even a couple of years ago i think yeah there, there are a million angles of this and and i'm just so glad that we can have this conversation and yeah and, i totally agree and where can people hear the rest of this conversation before i lose you <laughs> uh, you can find uh, Lolita podcast is streaming anywhere there's podcasts uh, so and it's uh, 10 parts uh, it's kind of heavy so if you have to listen to it um, in installments that's probably for the best it can be kind of a, an intense experience but you can find it anywhere and I would love to learn more about the the kind of Lolita community that spawned from the book, away from the book, that kind of exists more yes. in the aesthetic world. I'm really excited to learn more about them because I hate the fact that they think I'm ever attacking them when I'm calling out the um, the uh, glamorization of pedophilic culture. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like they're, my experience in that community is like, they're down to have the conversation. So it's, I, I'm glad that that, you know, kind of communication is kind of opening up and it doesn't need to feel like we're at each other's throats about it. It's like, I don't get it. Help me out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. everyone go and check out everything that Jamie has ever made. And um, so Jamie, before you go, will you please tell me, what do you weigh? Um, I weigh... Well, I guess I, I think mostly it's very specific curiosity. That's what brings me the most joy in my life, whether it's something really depressing or something really silly. And I, I what I what I value most about myself is that I, I like to be curious. I like to learn new shit and I like to 
feel wrong about stuff later because it means that that I'm learning shit. I, I I like to just be, yeah, curious and wrong and learning a lot. That's my that's my what I what I want to the track I want to stay on. I love that. And if I've been wrong on this podcast, tell me. Send me a DM. Just start, let me know. I want to know. This is how I learn. I have this podcast because I'm trying to figure shit out. Um, and I love learning with and from you guys. And thank you so much for coming on this podcast. You are a delight. Uh, it feels like we've known each other for years. Thank you for having me. I know this was so much fun. It feels, it feels right. I so appreciate everything you do. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson and the beautiful music that you're hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. I really appreciate it and it amps me up to bring on better and better guests. Lastly, at I Weigh, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iweighpodcast at gmail.com. It's not in pounds and kilos, so please don't send that. It's all about your just, you, you know, you've been on the Instagram anyway. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our listeners. I weigh 49 years of emerging from poor kid from a broken home to fabulous international nomad, business owner, wife, mum, and soon to be therapist. I weigh the many continents I have lived in and the pieces of those places that I've taken with me. I weigh the blinding bright futures of my beautiful neurodiverse kids, the love of a pug and a career as a relationship therapy guru. And I just keep gaining with a big old kiss. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.